Well, I, I mean, I've just, I've been trying to work on my stage show presence and all the rest. So, I just, you know, come out on stage and be like, wow, good looking crowd. Good looking crowd tonight. And it's just, you know, be like, I'm just kidding. Right? After a couple of seconds, good looking crowd, pause. Then I'm just kidding. Now, hold on. Don't get upset. I just can't see you because of the lights on stage. I can't see you. So, I don't actually know how good-looking you are. I'm assuming that you're all very good-looking. Isn't it great to be here? Is what I'll do after. Hopefully, that'll get a laugh. And then hopefully, that'll get a, you know, clap. I'll go, for you. For you. For you, it's great to be here. This is work. This is you making me clock in. I was, I was drag. If you're wondering why the show, the ticket says at the start of the hour... And then we started five minutes late. It's because I had to drag myself into... You know how you wait five minutes to clock in? That's what I was just doing. This is work! What are you guys... This is a Friday night! You made me come to this town? To work? Do you know how lazy I am? It's a good thing you're also good looking. Okay. So, there you go. There you are. There's the stage show. That's like now... If you're only like, what are you... What, what's going to happen? There you go. That's that's the beginning of a show. That's how it'll go. Maybe a singing. Who knows? <clears throat> if I ever, like, fucking get myself correct. Uh, and then, like, probably a little talking about whatever I read that day or whatever I did that day at the beginning. And so here's a little, like, taste of that. Hey, guys, I don't normally talk about a lot of celebrities. Uh, but I guess I need to talk about Army <laughs> So welcome to tonight's show, and thank you all for coming on out. Okay, so I don't like talking about celebrities at all. At all. Mostly because I have found that they are even more religious icons than religious icons. I can say to someone who went to seminary school, you know, I, I really don't think St. Francis of, uh, of Assisi was actually all that important to the ratification of the church. I can say that to, like, a seminary school person. They'll be like, oh, well, you know, I have a lot of, I have a lot of views about that, and we can talk about that in the Vatican, blah, 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 right? But if I say, I think Sean Connery was worse for domestic violence than Chris Brown, right? If I say that sentence out loud, then suddenly... Somebody will, like, jump through a window, like, do a backflip off a trampoline or some shit, and, like, pull a hatchet out their ass cheeks, and, like, come for my goddamn throat. Just that, like, that level of a statement will just cause somebody to lose their mind and, like, scream at me about James Bond and, you know, Scottish coal mining and Thatcher and shit. It's crazy. Um, and so I've discovered that, like, celebrities are unto themselves religions, and I, I don't care. For instance, this is absolutely 100% true. This is how little I care about tabloids. I know a lot about movie news, I know a lot about movies, but only the movies. I've never seen a single interview with a single cast member of the MCU or Ocean's... The Ocean's 11, 12, 13 movie, besides Eddie Izzard. Or, right, I don't watch interviews. I don't read tabloids. I don't give a shit. And so when I tried to research Army Hammer, unfortunately, for this show, like, I went to, like, PerezHilton.com. Because, like, the best sources I have for, like, celebrity news are from the mid-2000s. I don't know how to research tabloids. I don't know this universe. All right? 
I am totally a little babe in the woods. I don't know how to, like, find good information on this. And so we're just going to start off with a mea culpa on this one. I am sorry that on social media I publicly mocked the idea that Army Hammer was a serious story. And I'll tell you why. I found very, very little good reporting when that was brought up to me. And the first thing that I found was a complaint from an island's beauty pageant board? I swear to Christ, I know that sounds made up. But the first actual news story about Army Hammer I found was about, like, the beauty pageant of St. Croix filing a police report that he was in a room with a woman in lingerie. It was, like, that vague, and the police dropped it. And that's the first bit of reporting that I found about Army Hammer. I was like, this is ridiculous. Why are you on this guy? Who the fuck cares? Well, you guys kept sending me fucking anon messages about what he was doing. And I just thought, this can't, this, this sounds so ridiculous and so dumb. The cannibalism, that's kind of funny. This, but why are you sending, why do you care? Why do you care? There's too much energy here. Why do you care? And so I did a little digging. And so for those of you who don't know, there's rumors about Army Hammer sending messages. There's, there's, they're out there if you want to find them. About eating women. About wanting to consume them literally. Cannibalism, the German cannibal, cutting parts of them off, eating them. This also way crazier shit than that. Like about him pulling a still beating heart out of a deer, taking a bite out of it. There's stuff like that out there as well. That's way, way crazier. Okay. And the more I kind of looked at all this information that's out there that's being, like, really alleged, not like in the dark corners of the internet or anything, but, like, people coming forward to really say this kind of thing, I have to say that I felt compelled to actually kind of step forward and and talk a little bit about it. I don't... This is, unfortunately, I really don't like it. Army Hammer, I think, might be the most important celebrity to talk about since Kevin Spacey and Harvey Weinstein. So buckle up, because I didn't expect this at all. But here we go. I actually think, although people are making all kinds of crazy jokes, uh, they're missing the point on Army Hammer. And I just kind of want to get into it real quick and what my perspective is from a BDSM perspective and abuse. So here's the thing about BDSM and abuse. I've talked about this over and over and over. Somebody made the joke, is Army Hammer trying to become a man because he ate the heart of a still-beating deer? And that's exactly the joke that I made earlier, but I didn't think anyone was going to get it five, so I actually crossed it out. I actually made a whole reference to Army Hammer taking the beating heart out of the deer and eating it so that he could fulfill his obligations, gain the spirit points he needed, and finally level up and become a paladin. But unfortunately, I decided to go ahead and discard the whole fucking thing. All right! <laughs> okay, so never. So now you know the joke writing process, and I guess I got to get better at it. This is why you got to come to live shows. There will be new material at every single one because I get bored in fucking hotel rooms. You want to? I can only watch so much fucking hotel TV, right. <laughs> and I don't use hotel Wi-Fi because they're watching you. They're watching you. All right. Did you guys know that? Just real quick. If, if you date somebody who works at a hotel, <laughs> you find out what the staff can pay attention to if they want to, and the answer is all of it, pretty much all of it. <laughs> just, just let you know. 
Just let you know. They log if you saw a prostitute. They make bets. They talk to the IT guy. There's all kinds of fucking... This is at a five-star hotel in a country that actually has privacy laws tool. Just to be clear. This is at four and five-star hotels in countries that actually have privacy laws. So you can only imagine what the fuck is happening in America. Okay. <clears throat> so, anyway, anyway, anyway. On the hammer, researching everything, going through it, and why I legitimately think that he is hyper-important, even though I just made a bunch of jokes. BDSM perspective. So, when it comes to contracts, verbal or otherwise, when it comes to scene plays, when it comes to an understanding of a scene, when it comes to a kink or anything that you're about to engage in, especially if the dominant is a man, I have said to you women, always trust your gut. Because abusers love systems. Systems allow an abuser to take I statements, I want this, I'm going to get this, I'm going to need this from you, and instead turn them into systemic questions of abuse, right? Systemic statements. This is what you agreed to. This is what we said we would do. These are the rules. Aha! One sounds a lot scarier than the other, but they both have the same effect if used malappropriately. Yeah. So, <clears throat> with that in mind, that there are some people out there, and it really is people, though I do warn you more about men than women, uh, with the mindset that there are people out there who want to use these systems... I want you to think about what an unrepentant abuser with resources would then do if found out. Now, there's a lot of repentant abusers out there, and I'm not going to make any kind of song or dance for them, but there's people out there who do things and hurt people, and they wish they could stop, or that they didn't, and they're in whatever kind of cycle, and they need mental health and counseling and all the rest. But this is not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the unrepentant abusers. I'm talking about the people who would screw you, screw you, screw you, and screw you again and laugh and smile in your face when called out about it after you were all used up to them. I'm talking about the people who really, really, really see other people as pouches that they can pull whatever they want out of and put whatever they want into. Little else. The unrepentant abuser is the one that we watch out for. It's the smart criminal, the smart bank robber. There's not a lot of smart bank robbers, so you have to watch out for the few that are. It's the serial killer that covers their tracks and doesn't keep selecting victims from the same pool, right? It's the, it's the rare criminal is this abuser. And I have no idea if Army Hammer is this abuser or not. Truly, no clue. No, no, no instinct. Uh, I guess he gives some people some vibes. Again, I don't watch interviews and shit, so I don't have it. But here's what I will say to you. <clears throat> Let's just say that Daddy Jack, instead of being a flawed man, was actually a goddamn villain. Let's just say that that's the kind of person that I really, really was. The kind of man who would burn down a building to take over a small town's economic interests if it suited him. The kind of guy who would 
100, 200 years ago, raise an army to just go and kill the shit out of a bunch of people so I could flag a flag, uh, a flag in the land and say it's mine now. Just that kind of guy. Just that kind of conquistador. And it's deep inside me. And I don't really give a shit about other people. And I live in this modern world, and I'm quite well off, and I have been since the day of my birth. I'm born to a real wealthy family. Okay? So we're talking about a guy who has a bad mindset and was born into a lot of resources. And let's just say I systematically abuse the shit out of a group of sexual partners. Forget everything about the salaciousness. Forget everything about the stories. Forget everything about my attitude. What if you found out a series of my ex-partners thought that I was seriously and intentionally trying to physically, mentally, and emotionally abuse and manipulate them just for funsies? Just for the fun of it. You really hear that about me. Anything else you know about me, even if you don't have a high opinion... You hear that about me. And then everybody else around you is talking about deer hearts and cannibalism and an allegation from a police report from another country because that's all fun and cutesy and it's, and it's catnip. If you really felt that about me, and everybody else is talking about all these cute little funsy stories that are like fun for people to mock me or like a this you type response, you might feel a little frustrated because, hold on, that's not the story. This guy is Kevin Spacey. This guy is Harvey Weinstein. That's not the story. You're having fun with it, but you, you have fun with it all you want, but you need to talk about the story. And so here's what I would put to you. I would put to you that army hammers, and why I'm talking about this is such a big deal, is army hammer is doing the exact same thing now that Kevin Spacey tried to do when he was recovering his career, that Harvey Weinstein tried to do when he was trying to recover his career before they were all the way on the ropes. This is before their companies get sold and their contracts get deleted and they get pushed off of Netflix. This is when they're still fighting. It's still up in the air. What's going to happen to them? Both of them turned on their accusers like crazy, which is, of course, what abusers do. They did it, it's all them, yada, 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 I'm innocent, you believe me. You know the song and dance. <laughs> uh, Army Hammer, however, compared to Weinstein and compared to Kevin Spacey, seems to have some advantages. He's not at the head of a billion-dollar company. And he has lots of resources. He's not just some actor. He's born into a very, very, very powerful family. <sighs> again, just once again, I want you to remember my little rant about the New York Times. And I just got to wonder, in five generations of a family controlling that paper, how many army hammers do you think they've had? Anyway, so, uh, with, with, army, with army hammer... Uh, having all of that money and all that clout and everything, here's why I think it's just so goddamn important. He is using money, Hollywood connections, family, family connections, to cloud the entire fucking social media sphere with PR reports. His lawyers, his PR firm, they're sending out all kinds of catnippy 
little teasers. Oh, Army absolutely denies everything about the heart and the incident outside Connecticut on this date and stuff like that. So that that gets the catnip and that gets all the clicks and all the reports and all the reporting and everything that gets shared on social media. All you have to do to blanket out the story of the horrible abuse is have other stories pop up in their place. That's it. That's all you got to do. And it worked because I actually had to go into story after story to find real reporting about this because the salacious reporting is so on its face and people have such reactions to it that the reactions are part of the reporting because it's kind of like a moment. It's kind of like a fun little game, I guess, for the internet. But I really, 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 I want you to pay attention to the concept of the abuser out there who will do everything. They'll spend any amount of money. They'll hire other people. They will debase themselves. They will do whatever it takes, even if there's no gain, just to continue the abuse. This isn't like Weinstein or Spacey. He's not fighting to stay on a, on a big show. He's not, he's not fighting to stay as, as a fucking doge, a, a, a pope, essentially, at the top of his own Vatican, like Weinstein. This is a guy who just wants to keep fucking people over. The, the end game of Army Hammer's strategy, his, his PR blitz, should he be successful, is that he just gets to keep being Army Hammer. <laughs> he just gets to keep doing whatever it is. He's, it's that important to him. And I just want you all to be aware that I found that out, and you all made me aware of it, and I hate you. Good-looking crowd tonight. Great-looking crowd. Thank you for making me look up all that shit about Army Hammer so that I could be like, oh, this is serious, and I could talk about it like that. <clears throat> Isn't that fun? Isn't that fun for you? Isn't that great? Oh, man, I just want to have... I, I talked before we hit the record button about how I had a slow start this month. You know what doesn't help a slow start? Wading through quote-unquote real reporting on Army Hammer on if he actually threatened to eat a woman's pussy or not and what the verification of those text messages are. And by eat a pussy, I mean eat a pussy. I don't mean eat a pussy out. I mean eat a pussy. I mean take it out, scoop it up like a bread bowl, down the hatch it goes. <laughs> you ever... Like, I want to eat all kinds of things. I, I, I personally have discovered that if you discover wildlife, especially in the ocean, and you show me a picture of it, there's like a 90% chance I'll want to eat that motherfucker. Like, I'm real curious. And, and like, people will show, like, spiny things or, like, you know, like, like crazy crustaceans with, like, 28 legs and they look like worms. And I'm like, bet with fucking butter. All that fucking shell, once you get it off, oh my god, I bet it's amazing. I absolutely want to try that shit. And so, I, I, <laughs> I'm just saying, you would think, 
with all the with all the connections to Army Hammer, what with us both being six foot three Adonises who have only been lucky in this life, that I, I would have any kind of connection or 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 similarity to it. But I gotta say, I sure don't. And I'm just gonna real quick talk about like perhaps another way to think of BDSM before we get into the requests. Uh, and hopefully we all have a real good time tonight. Because I've been thinking a lot about it. I want to have sex. Again, eventually, maybe, who knows? You know, we'll see what happens. And as it's been a while, I've been, like, considering what that would be. And especially in a BDSM context, because I've leveled up a lot since the last time I've tried to engage in this kind of relationship. And I want that to be a good experience for both of us, whoever the other person is, right? So with that in mind, I have to say, I am going to use language here that might offend some of you, but this is language that's real near and dear to my heart when I think about myself, and I don't really know any other way to describe it besides to say, I almost admire when someone's just a total sociopath, like Avi Hammers being to these women, because I think I fulfill the other end of the spectrum on a BDSM doll, where I'm a giant frilly bitch. Just a giant doily covered bitch of a of a of a BDSM Dom because I don't want to deal with all kinds of shit like brattyism. Oh, I have a real limited effect of how much, like, the brat corridor I'm willing to go down. I absolutely positively am not turned on by hardcore statements out of nowhere. I love hardcore statements, but if I'm sitting down with my oatmeal smoothie and I pull up an instant message that says these holes are for you, it better be a fucking ad for, for for green fees being reduced on the municipal golf course, okay? I don't want that out of nowhere. I want a little connection. I've never paid for a prostitute in my life, and I don't think I'm ever going to, especially since now I've become one. I know it's going to be like on the other side. No, thank you. I have fun with it, but I get to choose my clients. I don't know if she gets to choose hers, what her financial situation's like. Fuck that shit. That's what I'd be thinking about the entire time. Uh Uh-uh. Absolutely not. (laughs) Wait a minute. Are you just fucking me so you can get a PlayStation 5? I have real mixed feelings about this. I mean, on one hand, I get it, and it's actually kind of hot. But on the other hand, I don't, I don't know. I want to be commoditized. I, <laughs> I have very strong feelings about Dom, and I'm not afraid to dom, dominate a woman sexually to 100% take what I want from her. I actually, one of the last times I just masturbated thinking to myself in bed was about a time I was with a woman. I said, put your arms behind your back. And then she did. And I said, 
Put your arms behind your fucking back like a goddamn slave. And then she did it properly, because she didn't do it the first time. And the look that she gave me as she did it the second time is what I came to. Because the look on her face changed a lot from the first time to the second time that she grabbed her fucking uh, arms behind her back. And so it's not about dominating or getting into that, that headspace. It's that this is a true story. I was with a woman, and she was a little younger than me. We're not talking like a huge age gap here, but she was a little younger than me. And I was like, oh, I'm concerned because you're a little bit younger than me. I don't know if you know. And she didn't have any experience with the BDS and the M's and the S's, you know. She didn't have any of it. And so I I was legitimately alone with this woman after having a discussion with her. After talking explicitly about having sex and what her expectations are, this is a true story. I'm very embarrassed about this. She disrobed in front of me without me requesting, which is a pretty good sign, one might say, I know, intellectually and emotionally, when a woman is alone with you and she just starts fucking stripping after you've talked about sex. Pretty good sign. And not only did she just start taking off her clothes in front of me, but underneath her clothes, unexpectedly, with some clearly very nice and decent lingerie. Okay? You hearing this? You hearing this little fantasy that you're hearing? You hearing this very nice moment? Great. Because you know what I did in response to this? I swear to Christ, I looked at her and I said, You sure? I swear to Christ, I ruined that fucking moment for her like you wouldn't believe. I kicked her right in her pussy. I saw the temperature change. She was at 101. I saw it drop right back down to a 99. I saw it go right out the fucking window. So, in a way, I actually really kind of admire, you know, like a Cuomo sort of dude who's all like, here, let me write a book about a pandemic. What do you mean it's getting worse? Of course I'm not going to pull the book. Why would I pull the book? It's a book about how I defeated the pandemic, and I did. Just because it's getting worse doesn't mean I didn't. I wish I could be a fucking Cuomo. I wish I could be a little hammery. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. And turn it on and become that. But I know I never am. And so on the other side of dominance, since I'm not trying to tell you how to find a, a especially a man, but any kind of dom who's going to fuck you up, I really don't have it. The, if I had a system to get you to one, don't you think I'd be using it? on me right now instead of talking about how I can never get laid again? Because I do. (laughs) I guarantee you that's exactly what would be... I promise it's not for show that I'm saying I'm not getting laid right now. It's because of COVID and I'm not getting laid. The moment I start having sex again, not only will I say it, you'll probably all know. I'm gonna be so fucking relaxed you're not even... I'm this relaxed making my own shitty fucking bouncy bread and fuck. Can you imagine what it's going to be like when I get blowjobs again? Because I can. I think about it literally every day. Sometimes I drift off like a fucking five-year-old staring out a window, mid-coloring, crown just in hand, just eyes glazed, just thinking like, one day, again, I'm going to have oral sex. One day again, a woman's just going to sit in front of me, kneel in front of me. I don't know not going to happen, and my penis is actually going to be going back inside of her mouth, and I won't have to do anything. I will just sit back and enjoy a sublime pleasure of life. One day, it'll happen. Fucking get 
So when I get that, I imagine I'm gonna like the temperature and all of the aggression and all that is gonna come way down. And it's been pretty good lately. Yeah. But uh until then, watch out for army hammers. Watch out for men who very much want to use a sexual encounter or especially BDSM type protocol to tell you what you think, what you feel, or what you must do. These are the these are the I think the big three. If they use BDSM to say a slut or a subservient or whatever you want to call yourself thinks, feels, or must do one of these things, any of these things, uh, that's bad. That's the indicator. Yeah, I haven't talked about BDSM and being worried about it for a while, but it's only going to be a matter of time before somebody makes a fucking BDSM movie that doesn't goddamn suck, and then you're all going to go back to it. I'm sorry that the last, like, five have all fucking, that Netflix one fucking sucked, the Fifty Shades trilogy, oh my god. Have I ever talked about the last movie in the Fifty Shades trilogy? <laughs> That's going to have to be its own episode. If you've only ever seen the first and last movie of the Fifty Shades trilogy, like me, it's actually kind of an amazing time. The last movie in the Fifty Shades trilogy is one of the most unimaginable screenplays I've ever, ever come across. It makes stuff like Zardos look like goddamn Citizens Kane. It's, it's, it's unbelievable how fucking the last Fifty Shades. You would think it would have to do with sex or business or love or family and you'd be right but you're 15 minutes in. Okay. Okay. All right. <laughs> that's the show. Get out of here. Oh, wait. What? You mean that's not the show? Well, how much longer do we have left? How much did they pay for? They paid how much a ticket? Ah, oh, fuck. Hey, if I was Rihanna, I would only just be starting now. Let's be clear about this. About the same amount of self-involvement, but I would only just be getting to the stage right now. So, personally, what I'm... What I... Oh, no, I... Per All right. Well, I got I got interrupted because I looked at the chat and I shouldn't have. What I was trying to do there was a bit like this is what I would do at a stage show. And just all of a sudden be like, okay, show's over. Go away. And then you wouldn't, obviously. And I'd have to be like, how long? To the booth. How much? Ah. Guess we'll have to do something else. What do you guys want to do? Huh? Do you want to sit back and listen? <clears throat> It'll be funnier in person because I'll be able to respond to your laughter or your lack thereof. And in a way, it'll be so much easier if you don't laugh. Uh, so that's definitely what I'm planning on um, all my life, really. Because if you don't laugh, then I don't have to break for timing and I can just keep going. And I can be like a Stephen Wright sort and just go right into the next fucking line. And I can just boom, boom, boom it out. And then afterwards, you can be all like, eh. 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 
That's what I'm expecting the reviews to be. Just Muppet noises. For what I do. How do you describe what he does? Eh, he goes out there and he talks. Is it worth it? Eh. Sometimes. It's pretty good. Sometimes you laugh. Sometimes he's just up there talking like he's Jim Carrey, but not doing the voices and shit. Eh. Okay. <clears throat> After all, there is no need to say anything. At first, an orange peeled and quartered flares like a tulip on a wedgewood plate. Anything can happen. Outside, the sun has rolled up her rugs and night-strewn salt across the sky. My heart is humming a tune, and I haven't heard in years. Quiet's cool flesh. Let's sniff and eat it. There are ways to make of the moment a topiary, so the pleasures in walking through. Flirtation by Rita Dove <clears throat> For the first time, I listened to a lost and secret recording of us making love near on ten years ago. I recognize your voice, your sounds, though if I knew no better, I could be any man in any room. After the rising sounds of rising and the dressing, and once you step close to the deck, perhaps to pick up the shoes, you sing the chorus of Sunday morning. I call on you to hurry as we leave. It does not end then. The tape rolls on. A few late cars which sigh by might have passed us walking away, triumphant, unaware we've left behind the mop, and now mechanism of silence to which we may never return. Then, Roddy Lumsden. Uh, how do you think he found a secret recording ten years after the fact if he never returned? <clears throat> J'accuse. There is no beauty in a sunrise, nor in the sweeping skirt of a pine. Not in the cream glow of the moon-touched clouds, nor tide-sculpted cliffs, like etched bone. The beauty is all held in trust within the dark vaults of our skulls, liquid, intimate, secret, and somehow perfect. Jared K. Anderson, no title. First, her tippet made of tule, easily lifted off her shoulders and laid on the back of a wooden chair, and her bonnet, the bow undone, with a light forward pull. Then the long white dress, a more complicated matter, with mother-of-pearl buttons down the back so tiny and numerous that it takes forever before my hands can part the fabric, like a swimmer's dividing water asleep inside. You will want to know that she was standing by an open window in an upstairs bedroom, motionless, a little wide-eyed, looking out at the orchard below, the white dress puddled at her feet, the white board, hard wood floor. The complexity of women's undergarments in 19th century America is not to be waved off, and I proceeded like a polar explorer through clips, clasps, moorings, catches, straps, and whalebone stays, sailing towards the iceberg of her nakedness. Later, I wrote in a notebook, it was like riding a swan into the night. 
But of course, I cannot tell you everything. The way she closed her eyes to the orchid, how her hair tumbled free of its pins, and there were suddenly dashes whenever we spoke. What I can tell you is, it was terribly quiet in Amherst that Sabbath afternoon, nothing but a carriage passing the house, a fly buzzing in a window pane, so I could plainly hear her inhale when I undid the very top hook and eye fastener of her corset. And I could hear her sigh when finally it was unloosed. The way some readers sigh when they realize that hope has feathers, the reason is a plank, and life is a loaded gun that looks right at you with a yellow eye. Taking off Emily Dickinson's clothes by Anonymous. <clears throat> It's very funny because, of course, Emily Dickinson was a homebody who never left her house, and she had two sisters and, like, an aunt. I mean, there's no way you're fucking Emily Dickinson in a quiet house alone. That's not happening. Just historically speaking, Emily Dickinson, notorious famous shut-in who never published a single poem in her entire life. She died unpublished, and her family later pulled it all out. My God, man, of all the women that you could choose. I mean, Susan B. Anthony, she, did you see the petticoats on her? I bet she was left alone from time to time. You know, back when back when the police weren't fussing with her. All right. You leave nice lady Emily Dickinson alone. She wrote fan fiction. I understand her. If she was alive today, she would be into the Mandalorian and she would be tweeting about MCU and shit all the time. That poor girl. She was just born 150 years too early. <laughs> Oh, did I hit too close to home for some of you? Write more poetry. <clears throat> there is too little time left to measure the space between us that was long ago. That time, just lie under the blue quilt and put the fat pillows with the blue slips of the great windowsill so we can look over them and down to the small figures hurrying by in total silence and think of the heat up here and the cold down there while I turn the light off with the right hand and gather you in close with the wrong. Galaxy Love, Gerald Stern. Girls, I'm just gonna say, did you know that penises are great, but they are not actually requisite for using to dip into ink and to write poetry with? Did you know that? Did you know that the penis is not the writing utensil from which poetry comes from? I'm just trying to say, ladies, maybe more poems from Emily Dickinson and less about fucking her. <laughs> just saying, as a suggestion, as we move forward, just going through it, just saying, <clears throat> I'm not going to be able to use any of these poems to get laid in the future, and that's what I love. I love you paying me to read you a poem that I can then later on be like, oh, I know that poem, and I can use that reference to get laid by some other woman. That's the fucking game plan here, and so far nothing that you've thrown me is really going to work at that. 
I know if Homer, a guy fucked Emily Dickinson. I know it's not actually very historically accurate. In fact, at one point, he talks about the flies and the window panes, but there wouldn't be window panes in a house in the 1850s in Amherst. Actually, if you think about it, they almost certainly had single uh, sheets of glass in which, at the time, the melting prospects would cause the top of the sheets to be much thinner than the bottom. Of course, this would come later with tempered glass, and that's why windows would be considered the uh, definitive uh, project of the 20th century. And by windows, <laughs> of course, I don't mean the software, but actual plate glass tempering windows. <laughs> Because if I can get laid after that, I could have gotten laid before it, which means I spent a lot of time doing nothing. Here we go, another poem. <clears throat> Busy old fool, unruly son, why dost thou thus, through windows and through curtains, call on us? Must to thy motions, lover, seasons run, saucy, pedantic wench, go chide, late schoolboys with sour apprentice eyes, go tell court huntsmen that kings will ride, call country ants to harvest office eyes. Love, all alike, no season, knows no clime, nor hours, day, months, which are but rags of time. Thy beams so revered and strong, why shouldst thou think I could eclipse and cloud them with a wink? But that I would not lose her sight so long if her eyes had not blinded thine. Look, and tomorrow late tell my whether both the Indias of spice and mine beware thou left them will I hear with me. Ask for those kings whom thou sawest yesterday, and thou shalt hear all here in one bed lay. She all states, and all princes I, nothing else, princes do but play us compared to this, all honors mimic, all wealth, alchemy. Though son art half as happy as we, in that the world's contracted thus, thine age asks ease, and since thy duties be to warm the world, that's done in warming us. Shine here to us, and thou art everywhere. This bed thy center is, these walls thy sphere. The Sun Rising by John Donne. And John Donne is about the most perfect uh, example I can think of of a, po of, of a little thing that I shared on the server a couple days ago. If, if a man writes her a couple of love sonnets, he loves her. If he writes her 300 love sonnets, he loves writing sonnets. <laughs> John Donne. John Donne. There's a lot of there's a lot of John Donne where he's like, oh, she's not a woman. She's not a woman. She's a. And I think that maybe John Donne either really loved one woman, or he really loved metaphors about women. And it's kind of hard to tell the truth, the difference between the two. Because boy, he there was like seventeen in that one alone. This bed is your sphere. Uh, you're a prince. You're the pope. Lady, you're all of it. Baby, you're basically God. Come on, don't get out of bed, baby. Come on. I'm John Don. <laughs> Why does he have that accent? Because he's from Jersey. Da 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 da.
Okay. <clears throat> one of the many reasons I love you here is one. <laughs> that joke is so fucking good. The way you write me from the gate at the airport so I can tell you everything will be all right. I'm just so fucking happy with my Jersey reference. <laughs> I'm just so happy with the Jersey reference off the top of my head. Why does, I was like, why does John Dunn have that voice? Because he's from Jersey! Ha 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 ha! The original one. Okay, so you can tell me there is a bird trapped in a... Okay, I gotta start over. I'm sorry. My bad. I didn't mean to. I didn't mean Craig Arnold. <laughs> it's, a real, it's a real dick fest up on the slam poetry thing here tonight. Here we go. <clears throat> one of the many reasons I love you here is one. The way you write me from the gate at the airport so I can tell you everything will be all right. So you can tell me there is a bird trapped in the terminal. All the people ignoring it, because they don't know what to do with it, except to leave it alone until it scares itself to death. It makes you terribly sad. You wish you could take the bird outside and set it free, or failing that, call a bird understanderer to come help the bird. All you can do is notice the bird and feel for the bird and write to tell me how language feels impossibly useless. But you are wrong. You are a bird understanderer, better than I could ever be, who makes so many noises and call them song. These are your own words, your way of noticing and saying plainly, of not turning away from hurt. You have offered them to me. I am only giving them back. If only I could show you how very useless they are not. <laughs> Bird Understander by Craig Arnold. Well, it's, and I just, I want to type it out. Maybe that's going to be the name of this show. Bird Understander, and it's one word with a hyphen. Bird Understander. So I'm just going to say a little pet peeve of me on this one since I'm already like talking way too much about the poems instead of just reading them like the little poetry monkey with the nice voice that I am. Uh, if there's if you ever want to piss me off as a writer, you submit something to me where somebody says, I don't know if words can do this justice. Well, guess what, motherfucker? They just didn't. You're fired. <laughs> guess what your one job is, asshole? Guess what your one job... Hey, asshole, real question. What's your one job? One. Fellow writer to writer, don't fuck with me. Writer to writer now, you can't fuck with me. What's our one job? One. <laughs> we have one thing we do. What is it? What is it? What is it? Oh, that'd be so amazing. Could you imagine... Like, we're all talking about vaccines and shit. Can you imagine if an immunologist was like, you know, I don't know if immunology is enough to, to really come up with a vaccine here. What? 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 <laughs> what did you just say? What did you just fucking say to me? Some fucking, some military, some military fucking advisor from who does some countries are like, I want you to go and round them up with guns. Like, their, their strongman's just all like... Is violence always going to be the answer? You're a strong man. Yes, literally. It's the only thing that you do. 
You have one job, strong man. That's to be weak and pretend that you are strong. <clears throat> Coming together. It is easier to work after our bodies meet pen and paper. Neither care for profit when we write or not. But as your body moves under my hands, charged and waiting, we cut the leash you create me against your thighs, hilly with images, moving through the word countries, my body writes into your flesh the poem you make of me. Tonight, you, I catch midnight. As moon fires set in my throat, I love you flesh into blossom. I made you, and take you made into me. See, that poem was fucking hot. It was called Recreation by Audre Lorde. Because women know how to write poetry about fucking. <laughs> We've got one poem left, and it's not a long one. And it was written by a man. Because that's what we're doing. Tonight is Sausage Poetry Fest. God, how, what's a better way to say that, Allie? You're so good with fucking titles. What is it? This is the most male poets we've ever had in a single... That was so many poems, and all but one were men. <laughs> God, this is like poetry before the 1800s. Somebody out, right now I can just feel it. There's somebody out there typing me something really, really, like, like after this airs, obviously, and goes out. Someone's going to type me a big thing about how many women poets there were, but, like, the patriarchy destroyed them, and <laughs> I can just, I can just fucking feel it. I can just fucking feel it. You really think that I think only men can make statues? Or, like, in the year 1825 is when women are like, wait a minute, we can make fucking statues! No, women could always make statues. We just didn't let them. So real quick, uh, real quick, this is a true thing. Uh, I've read a lot about like the mid-1800s, as you could probably tell. Uh, sorry. I've read a lot about the mid-1800s America. Uh, just kind of find it fascinating because all anybody ever talks about is the Civil War. And so like looking at the country before the Civil War and and not at all about uh, the War of 1812 and shit, just like actually looking at the country and the depressions and shit that nobody talks about. It's a really interesting period of the country to me because uh, a lot of people didn't really think there was going to still be an America. And so every, like, you know, new state or territory that gets opened up, like all the people who are like, this country sucks, would just go there instead, like a huge portion of them, and that would take all the pressure off to change the existing states. This is my view. This is There's some historians who are probably going to be pretty uh, uh, disagreeing with this. But anyway, I just want to say that like one of the like known things about women back then, one of the things that is just known about women, if you read about any contemporary reporting, is about like how great it is that women are so dressed up from top to bottom. Are you working on your fucking quick quotes? You better be. I'm fucking buying you time here. Top to bottom. I said last poem, if you're not working on your quick quotes, what are you doing? Uh, one thing that's really understood about these women at the time in America is how great it is. How great it is that they're so covered up. 
how great it is that they're so ornately wrapped up in all these layers of fabric. Why? Because it defends their virtue and chastity. Now, I knew that you knew that before I said that, but here's the kicker um, that this poem kind of reminded me of. If you've ever wondered why looser garments that still cover skin were not acceptable back then, like, a, like an ankle-length skirt, right? You don't actually see a lot of dresses where the hem comes up and there's not all kinds of stockings and shit under it. In the, in the 1800s and stuff, right? Um, one of the reasons why is because women have all these layers on is great because then they won't be as slutty. And it's just, it's just understood in the American psyche that if women could just get a dick inside them at a moment's notice, right? If a woman could just like bend over and get dick, she would. And therefore, it was your job as a woman or man, if you were protecting the virtue of others, to make sure that women had all these bullshit clasps and everything on them. That's the first thing that I want to say about women's fashion in the 1800s. It was understood that all these ornate clasps and things were great so that women couldn't cheat. The other thing that I want to say is, I always assumed that bonnets were like what men put on women, especially if you watch like, if you watch like Handmaiden's Tale or something. The assumption is, Oh, men put bonnets on women. The truth of the fact is, uh, in, in America at least, women opted for more and bigger bonnets left and right, and men hated them. Because bonnets would allow women to not make eye contact with men, and therefore not regard them in public. They were anti-catcalling devices. And at one point, bonnets became like so big that women couldn't see to this. And again, women are choosing these for them fucking selves, apparently. That bonnets become, like, such a big deal and they become, like, so good at blocking up periphery view when women are going into town to not deal with the worthless bullshit roustabouts that inhabit it. Uh, that men are like, we gotta get rid of bonnets! We gotta get rid of bonnets! They're stopping us from getting laid! Totally the reverse of what I always thought. But men, like, are like, ah, oh, these women, we can't fucking, like, because, you know, if you caught a woman's eye and attention, she had to be polite. It's the 1800s. So, we don't like this. Isn't that crazy? Isn't it crazy the things that you just find out reading? Because I didn't start off reading about bonnets or fashion or anything like that. I just kind of got there. I just kind of got there when I was reading everything. All right, guys. That's it. That's your quick quotes. You've gotten a lot of facts today. You've gotten a lot of fucking daddy facts lately. What are your quick quotes? Let's move this fucking show on the road. Here is our last poem. <clears throat> get, get your quick quotes out. When you are old and gray and full of sleep and nodding by the fire, take down this book and slowly read and dream of the soft look your eyes had once and their shadows deep. How many loved ones your moments of glad grace and loved your beauty with love, false or true? But one man loved the pilgrim soul in you and loved the sorrows of your changing face. And bending down besides the glowing bars, murmur a little sadly how love fled and placed 
upon the mountains overhead and hid his face amid a crowd of stars. When You Are Old, William Butler Yeats. The girls said they wanted quick quotes. I put up the invitation for it. They didn't even type any. Obviously, if you are a gal who enjoys the show, what that means is you need to come out next Friday, 10 Eastern, say hello to the server, say hello to all the gals, really mean a lot to me. Come up with a quick quote, come up with a little suggestion, maybe bring some poetry from a lady, you know, who's all sexy, because she knows how to, how to write with her words and how to talk about why a man's important to her, even though it's not just texting about a fucking bird in an airport terminal. Which do you think is more bird, more, more boring? Listening to someone text about a bird in a terminal for 90 minutes or watching the Tom Hanks movie The Terminal for 90 minutes? Because I think I'd rather wait for the text to come in, to be perfectly honest with you. If you've ever seen that movie, it's really, really awful. And I love Stanley Tucci. <clears throat> You are doing a wonderful job, baby girl. Sierra. Deep breath. You're doing good. Sweetheart, you've got to stay still for me. Take it easy, baby girl. This week is done. Now bend over for Danny. Beg for your daddy, baby. No, no, no. Spread them wider. Wider! God damn it, I'll do it myself. You are a very good girl. Come here and let daddy cuddle and kiss you. I said bend over, baby girl. Daddy wants to see that sweet ass. Okay, girls, that was quick quotes. Thank you all so much. I was just talking to Allie about how I guess you gals are all having kind of a rough time and you're all sad and yada, yada, yada. But I guess from quick quotes, that's not true. And you're all just horny, 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 horny. And I need to like respond to that. So, gosh. All right. <clears throat> Dear Samantha, I'm sorry. We have to get a divorce. I know that seems like an odd way to start a love letter, but let me explain. It's not you. It sure as hell isn't me. It's just human beings don't love as well as insects do. I love you far too much to let what we have be ruined by the failings of our species. I saw the way you looked at the waiter last night. I know you would never do anything you'd never do, but... I saw the way you looked at the waiter last night. Do you know that when a, fl a female fly accepts the pheromones put off by a male fly, it rewrites her brain, destroys the receptors that receive pheromones, sensing the change, the male fly does the same? When two flies love each other, they do it so hard, they will never love anything else ever again. If either one of them dies before procreation can happen, both sets of genetic codes are now lost forever. That is dedication. 
After Elizabeth and I broke up, we spent three days dividing everything we had bought together, like if I knew what pots were mine, and if I knew which drapes were mine, and somehow the pain would go away. That is not true. After two praying mantises mate, the nervous system of the male begins to shut down. While he still has control over his motor functions, he flops onto his back, exposing his soft underbelly up to his lover like a gift. Then she proceeds to lovingly dice him into cubes, spooning Every morsel into her mouth, she wastes nothing, even the exoskeleton goes. She does that so that once the children are born, they have something to regurgitate and feed them. Now that is selflessness. I could never do that for you, so I have a new plan. I'm going to leave you now, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life committing petty injustices, and I hope you do the same. I will jaywalk at every opportunity. I will steal things I could easily afford. I will be rude to strangers, and I hope you will do the same. I hope reincarnation is real. And I hope our petty crimes are enough to cause us to be born as lesser creatures. I hope we were born as flies, so that we could love each other the way that we were meant to. An Entomologist's Last Love Letter by Jared Singer I'm getting getting all my love letters with, baby, we gotta get a divorce. Ten years, dear, since the first Christmas message, what can I say now, ten years later, that I didn't say in 1953? The words may be different, but the theme, I need you, I love you, is the same. As I need you then for understanding and for the kind of companionship that no one else has been able to give. I need you now as much and even more as I loved you then for yourself, for all you represent. I love you now with warmth and earnestness and longing. And so I give myself Christmas thanks for this ten years, years that I have enriched, yes, and even changed my life, such years of joy and sorrow for us both, as we shared the joys no less have we shared the sorrows. Sometimes I wonder how I could have endured the depths without you and your sustaining love. Without you, in those shadowy days, I know life would not have been worth living. But I must not remember the darkness tonight. What I remember is the loveliness that has been mine because of you, the shared beauties of nature in all of its forms, the world of books, and the people in that world, the companionship in music, but above all, the living inspiration of you. For all this and so much more the words cannot express, my gratefulness knows no bounds. I can always reach into my memory for a lovely moment. And if I tried to catalogue them, I should never stop. Yesterday at twilight, the cloudless western sky was aglow with the burning orn which it is at best seen through the dark silhouette of the spruces of our main forest. The diamond brilliance of the evening star was still an hour high. Below it was the first faint shimmering crescent of the now young moon, which is to be the Christmas moon of which, O joy to be, we may share. And its tip A star punctured the scene. No need to tell you what happened in my eye. There is a promise in that moon, for it reaches its full on December 30th. Whatever time you read this, please know that my arms are figuratively about you. So close your eyes and know that you are loved. May Christmas be a blessed one.
with all of my love. Always, Dorothy. <clears throat> love Letter from Dorothy Freeman to Rachel Carson That was very sweet. Oh, Dorothy, I understand you and your ruminations on who you used to be before love. Boy, I understand that entirely. <clears throat> now, now, too, little one, you bring me honeysuckle and even your brass smell of it. While the sad wind goes slaughtering butterflies, I love you. And my happiness bites the plum of your mouth. How must you have suffered getting accustomed to me, my savage, solitary soul, my name that sends them all running? So many times we have seen the morning star burn, kissing our eyes and over our heads, the gray light unwind in turning fans. My words rained over you, stroking you. A long time I have love, the sun, mother of pearl, of your body. I go so far as to think you are your own universe. I will bring you happy flowers from the mountains, bluebells, dark hazels, the rustic basket of kisses. I want you to do what spring does with the cherry trees. Every day you play. Pablo Neruda. Mm. <clears throat> Sweeney doesn't bother looking at her, just grips her wrist and hauls her behind him, using his bulk to push through the crowds and out the back exit. The night air is warm enough, cool compared to the heat of violence in the bar. He keeps going, dragging her behind him, down alley after alley after alley. Cool compared to the heat of violence, oh, ah, whoops, until the sounds of the bar fight have long left them. Laura knows that they're still in the French Quarter, in an alleyway with lamp posts and stone paving in the midst gathering, like it knows that they need privacy. She sees him scope out a doorway, noting the lack of lights and taking a risk, crunching the handle and pushing inside. She knows what this is. She knows the end game. She feels his grip tighten and smiles. The place is bigger than she expected, narrow but high, with stairs leading to a first and second floor. She sees a kitchen to their right, but it's the bedroom to the left that catches his eye, and he pulls her in behind him. The light flicks on and is dim and red, and she's fairly sure the bedroom is normally used for capital gain, though the thought leaving her with a thrill... She lets him go, and still, and turn. He takes a swig from a bottle she didn't realize he'd taken, or perhaps he'd pulled it from his hoard like so many other locked jimmies and cigarettes, and so, so much gold. He holds it out to her, and she accepts his blood on the rim, and then on her tongue, watching his chest expand and contracting with heavy breaths as the whiskey burns its way down. As she drinks, he steps forward, pushing the bedroom door closed behind her, looming, over her, eyes never leaving hers. 
She passes it back, and then it's gone, and his hands are on her, pushing her against the door and upwards until she's level with his face again, leaning into her heavily, pinning her in her place. An oversized hand tangles in her hair, forcing her to look up at him, and she can't stop the brief moan that sensation elicits. The sound makes him curse, and he pulls his hands above her head. She lets him, and they both know that she lets him. They both know that she's letting all of this happen. Pressing her wrists into the wall before reaching between them, he pulls her dress aside, gripping slim thighs with big, calloused hands and running long fingers against her center. She moans, rise, unused now to the nerves there being active. Her body apparently still awake enough to generate moisture, and she thinks too long about how little time she'll have known what the waste of said moisture crying. She's wet from the bar, from the fight, from his eyes on her, from their days apart, from the day together. Instead of pinning her, she moans, unable to shift much with her wrists pinned, grinding against the flat of his palm and crying out when he slips a thick finger between her folds. He's too tall over her. He's too broad. The heat and the size is suffocating, and she feels herself clenching in all the right ways. Christ, woman. He raises his hand to his lips, tongue running over the moisture as his fingertips, eyes never leaving hers. She reaches the throbbing and gnawing ache, but he's not done with the onslaught. He releases her wrists, her arms lowering as she runs her tongue over his teeth. He moves quickly, dropping to his knees, and on another day she would ask him whether this was part of the good deal. But today she's out of words, and the ache's too bad to be snarky. Even on his knees, he reaches her stomach, and when he throws her leg over his shoulder, she feels the burn of stretching muscles. He must notice that she's barely on tiptoe, hands gripping his head for purchase, because he grips her other thigh and shifts her over his shoulders until she's pinned by his weight, one hand gripping her thigh hard enough to bruise, the other forearm on her stomach, pinning her to the wall. She feels him exhale against her, pulling her legs open and tasting her like she's made of free-flowing ichor. She makes a sound in his throat that will haunt her for weeks, like relief, like longing. She feels helpless, but this resourceful, one hand against a wall and the other in his hair, pushing and grinding back as he feasts on her, the building sensation overlapping until she's completely overwhelmed. His beard leaves her thighs raw, tongue lapping at her, running over her clit, biting and sucking and dragging and hanging cries from her. When she comes, it's like being hit by a freight train, and she feels like her grip is concrete. Holding her in place, her body goes taut before finally slackening. Before she can come down, he's standing, shifting her legs around his waist and unbuckling his pants to release himself and push into her as she sees stars. He's bottomed out, but waits as she struggles against the size, her body clenching painfully at the intrusion, the stretch too much and too intense, and she's only just starting to adjust, shifting munitely, 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 ah, minutely against him when she starts moving again. He's rough to the point that at first it's difficult to differentiate the pain 
from the pleasure. But she tightens her thighs and catches up, her nails running over his back as she starts to match his pace. That deep burn has started shifting faster now, the rough snap of his hips and the rattle of the door and the hiss he makes as she scours his back, making him with bloody stripes, all narrowing her focal point down to this single moment. She cries out, wrapping her arms around his shoulders as he kisses her neck, bites at the skin there, roughly grips her breast and plucks at the sensitive nipple. He reaches a hand between them, thumbing at her clit, and the gentle movement and rough fucking are too much for her. Another orgasm rips painfully through her body. He doesn't take his eyes off her face, watching her slip over the edge and into darkness. He withdraws, and it's enough to make her gasp, her voice ragged. Knees. Now. Her mouth damned near waters. She drops in front of him and takes him into her mouth, but it's clearly misjudged his intent. He lowers himself, grabbing his hips up and shifting her until she is on all fours on the carpet, positioning himself behind her. When he pushes back into her again, she cries out in relief and pushes back against him as his fingers tangle in his hair, pulling her upright. Her back bowed like this makes it hard to move, but then his hand is slipping down between them and she makes a desperate pleading sound and the words come. Yes, please, harder, fuck me. It's a steady stream of filth pouring out of her and he responds well, pissing in her so hard she's stuttering before he turns her over, pulling her hips into his lap. He shoulders her scrapes against the carpet, but can't think of anything but the feel of him, the obscene sight of his thick length disappearing all the way inside of her. She rises and moans, and then he stiffened against her, growling out her name as a final burst of stars appearing behind her ears. For a moment, the room is still and silent, but for their panting breath. He pulls against her chest and, still on his knees, buries inside her, gripping her tightly against him as his ragged breathing struggles to return to normal. She slumps, exhausted, against his neck. She strokes his broad back gently, feeling the sweat there, the little mark she's left on him. He feels her pull back, meets her eyes, his face tired and satisfied with just a hint of anxiety. She reaches for him, trailing her fingers over either side of his neck, up over his jaw, and back over his shoulders. As she comes down, all too aware that this is a stolen second, she does something that is sort of a game never included, something impulsive and depraved, something she refuses to worry about regretting. She doesn't want any regrets, not tonight. So she leans forward. Her kiss is gentle, pulling him against her, pressing herself into his chest like she can melt into him. His lips are warm, his skin heated from their intimacy, and she runs her hands up his neck, behind, to tangle in thick hair. He reacts quickly, wrapping his arms around her waist, up her back, kissing her back like she's oxygen, whiskey, and it feels like home, like she wants to go at it forever. It feels nothing short of bliss. She lets out a little noise so light, so shudderingly sweet and happy that she feels her hands still. This isn't the deal they need to stop. Neither can tumble down this rabbit hole. He owes his battles, sees searching for her life. She feels his arms loosen, as if aware but unwilling, feels his mouth slow, feels him pull back like he is in agony, and she lets him fingers loosening in her hair as she studies his face and sees too much there. 
Her hands shift to his jaw. She can't help herself, meaning his eyes to plant a final soft kiss on his lips, his nose, finally his forehead. When she pulls back, his eyes are closed, and so it seems that his cuts and bruised are lessening like magic. And she wants to kiss him again and again and again, and wonders if this is what warship feels like. He opens his eyes slowly, pupils blown and heart hammering away so hard she swears she can hear it. And for a moment, his eyes aren't angry or guilty with dark lust or something else, but he's looking at her now. He's really looking at her now. Like she's Laura. Like she's human. Like she's alive. For a moment, she sees peace or something more. The sound of tourists in the distance breaks the bubble surrounding them, and she pulls back, standing on shaky legs and willing herself not to look at the blossoming bruises she knows will appear on her thighs, her hips, her ribcage. She wonders if she'll stay there as she begins to break down again, if she'll be able to look at the big finger marks on her ribs and stroke them to remember she finds herself hoping so. He adjusted himself, trousers secure, and a cigarette pulled from who knows where dangling from his lips. As she leaves the house, he passes her one and lights them both, before straightening up and smirking. Told you I knew your type. She's Got a Type by The Blackest Frost. All one word. T-H-E-B-L-A-C-K-E-S-T-F-R-O-S-T. And you can find that on Archive of Our Own. By God, that was a show, wasn't it? Had little jokes and a little writing at the beginning. I did your request. If you have extra money, there's going to be a link below, whether you're in person or listening to this recording, that you can throw me a little tippy-whippy if you want to. Don't. Uh, worry too much about that because I'm just going to spend it all on bread, either liquid, i.e. beer, or uh, yeast and flour. It kind of seems to be my jam lately, so don't worry too much about that. I had a wonderful time. I said before the start of the show, because you guys should definitely come out next Friday, 10 Eastern, I said before the the start of the show uh, that I was just like a little bit like, but if you have no Valentine's date, you should definitely come out to Friday. You should do a V-date with me hang out. We should bring lots of requests. We should go for like two and a half hours, you know. We should really have fun. So come out, bring your requests if you're lonely like me. And know that even though I am not personally in 2021, at least so far, having the greatest time, uh, I legitimately feel the greatest when I give Grey Knight stuff. And when you guys tell me that I'm being a good Grey Knight daddy, or that you like the work, or that you like that I'm doing, or that you see me trying. When you guys say stuff like that, that is legitimately the best part of my year so far. And I'm going to try and keep it going. So, thank well, that and cooking, because I'm fucking it's starting to get pretty good. Like, I'm at month three of cooking, and starting to fucking turn around, baby. So between the two, you know, I really uh, I could use more from you guys, and just know that. Just kind words. Just encouragement, suggestions, requests to read at live shows, uh, voice questions for the part. Anything you want to give right now, I, I'm feeling very receptive. I know that I've I know that I've bitten off more than I can chew in the past, but so far everything's chugging along, and nothing's great. I just I have the health, I have the mindset, and I want to keep swinging. Thank you for being good to me.
want to see you at the next live show, want to see you at the one after that, please come on out. Thank you so much. It means the world to me. See you then.